invite you to open in God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we are going to be picking back up in our walk through 1 Timothy. Um, my name is Chad Gilbert. I get the great joy of serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist. So thankful that you have all gathered to worship the Lord this morning. Um, one of my convictions about preaching is that it is, it is really healthy for the people of God to be able to just walk through books of the Bible. That doesn't mean that that's all that I will ever do in preaching. In fact, in just a couple of weeks, um, one of the things that I'm going to be doing is we're going to take a pause, we're going to push pause on walking through 1 Timothy, and we're going to actually begin on Mother's Day uh, a four-week um, study on prayer, where we're going to be looking at prayer. We're going to be praying together. Um, there's going to be a prayer guide that I hope that everyone in the church will use um, to help guide that time as we really seek the Lord leading up to something special that's going to be happening in New Orleans that I want to let you know about. And that's that we are hosting the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting. Um, and what that means is there will be probably upwards of about 30,000 Southern Baptists coming to New Orleans um, for a convention. It's a time to be able to get updates um, from all of our entities, from the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, our seminaries, um, and then to be able to also just like worship together and pray together, hear preaching, um, and, and to take care of, of some, some business together. Now, some of you that maybe have followed conventions closely, you're like, man, these are also contentious times. Um, it, it just, do you want to feed that wolf or not? Okay, so that's my thing. It's like, do, do you want to, you know, feed into the contention or really feed into the mission. And I just want to encourage you, like, that's what I'm excited about is the mission. Um, I want us to be all about the mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there is so much to celebrate. Don't miss that moment that where we were just worshiping a moment ago, hearing from some of our own members about how God is at work among the nations and how you as a church, okay, have been helping to make that happen. Um, in your prayers, in your normal giving. Every time you give, we give 10% of what we receive into cooperative program works, okay? And so 8% of that goes through the, the, the Louisiana Baptist Convention up to the executive committee to then fund all of the entities. And then 2% stays right here in New Orleans because we believe that, you know, it's important for us to be bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth and across the street, okay? And so we're a both and church. So just to know that about who we are, that we're not giving emphasis to the nations and neglecting New Orleans. And we're not gonna just focus on New Orleans and neglect the nations. We're gonna do both, okay? And so that's why we're gonna have, you know, times of celebrating both and doing these things. But there's, there's something, though, that is orienting all of it. And that's important for us to know. That as we prepare to host this annual meeting, and there's going to be four weeks of prayer leading up for us as a church to this evangelistic work that's going to be going on in our city and all of these all of these um, serve tour activities, which are opportunities for us to be able to go, to go into our city and serve, that you're going to be hearing more about. All of these things going on, all of this is moving toward um, this incredible reality that is based on something, something that has changed everything. It's a truth that Paul encapsulates in this real tight form right here in this passage today that changes everything. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you came into news that changed everything in a moment. Like the world completely changed as you knew it. For me, it was when we found out we were pregnant the first time. 
My world changed in an instant. I began to see myself differently, to think about myself differently, to think about our future differently, to think about financial decisions differently, to think about the the significance of being able to parent and all of these things. I thought about that differently. All my entire world in just one moment of news, this changes everything. That was one of those moments for me. And Paul is saying, this has changed everything. That what we're going to consider today is just a core truth has changed everything. And so what I want you to do is I want you to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word in this moment. And and when we get to this specific verse, verse 15, um, I'm just going to let it just like, I'm just going to read it twice. Because I just want it to settle over us because it changes everything about who we are and how we understand ourselves to exist. Like what it means for us to be the people of God and to be a biblically thriving church. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here it is, verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying. A trust, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me say that again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I want you to say it with me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray with me? Father, we thank you that you want for us to understand why you sent your Son. And that that purpose is put in this really concise fashion here, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. And so, Lord, please, would you orient our lives by this truth today? And for anyone in this room who right now has never experienced the purpose of Jesus, maybe they know him, maybe they're impressed by his good example, but they don't, they've never experienced his purpose in coming which is their salvation. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This changes everything. Don't miss this. This may be one of the most important messages that I preach to this church. This changes everything. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That orients everything about our lives. This is why he came. And so as we walk through this passage today, my hope will will be that it will change you the way it's intended to change you. That this truth, that Paul says, this is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I mean, it's like he just stops everything for a moment and says, don't you forget. Don't forget the main point of his coming. Don't lose sight 
Now remember the context, because we're walking through this book, that's the danger of not reading it all at one time, is we can forget what we just read. Remember, last week we just looked at that there are certain people coming in and they are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And, and they're beginning to, to um, basically come up with parts of the law, the, the Old Testament law that you need to begin to observe and all these things. And Paul is saying, no, Jesus didn't come into the world so you could devote yourself to myths. Jesus didn't come into the world so you could devote yourself to endless genealogies. Jesus didn't come into the world just so that you could fall back into trying to obey certain parts of the law. No, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. That's why he came. That was his mission. And so therefore, that's what our lives are going to look like. And so how does it look? Paul has just painted the picture in verses 3 all the way down through 11 of, of what it doesn't look like. This isn't why Jesus came. This isn't true teaching. So then what does a true teacher look like? What does somebody whose life has really been changed by this biblical gospel look like? Well, Paul puts all of that on display, and he himself right here says that it's all to be an example. So we know that right from the text, we're being called to follow the same pattern. That, that an example is so that you can follow it. Now, you can make an example in a negative way, but the way that Paul is, say, is stating it here is so that people would be able to look and to see God's incredible patience and perseverance and love for one who he says is the worst of sinners. And I think we're supposed to follow his humble example in these ways. So, number one, when we talk about this changes everything, this truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, it first of all changes our praise. That the praise, the credit that we're going to give is going to look different. There is a praise that looks like the guy that Jesus said, don't be like, God, I praise you that I'm not like these other folks. And there's a lot of that, right? If we're just being honest, I mean, it doesn't take you much time to, to, to scroll through Facebook, to look on the internet, to watch news, whatever, being like, man, God, I'm just so thankful that I'm not like this. Or that, or that you know, that my family isn't like that. Or that, boy, that my work environment isn't like that one. Or, or just to begin to, to say, God, I just thank you that I'm not like something else. That's not at all what Paul does. He doesn't venture into this praise, giving credit to Jesus for how good he is. Look what he does and says. He, he first of all says, that he gives credit to Jesus, number one, for his salvation. That that's kind of an identity marker. Notice how he says it. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Get this, the essence of salvation is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. Last week when we celebrated baptism, Mark Hagelman, as he baptized Lee Riley and his daughter Claire, he asked them, you know, very, very clearly, is it your confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord? And sometimes we'll say Lord and Savior, but understand this, inherent even in the word Jesus, okay, is this idea of Savior. Like that's what his name means, is that, is that the Lord saves. And so it's important for us to see when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saying he's my Savior, he's my Lord, and he truly is my God. I'm giving myself fully to him. This is how I have a right relationship with who God is, is through Jesus, and so he's saying, I give praise, I give credit for my salvation, not to me, not to my wise decision-making, but to Jesus Christ, my Lord, because he has saved me. 
But then notice he, he continues that it changes our praise as we give credit to Jesus for our strength. He says, who has strengthened me? And we look at Paul and we say, man, he, he probably was really, really strong. Well, he takes time with different churches to not note how strong he is, but how weak he is. I mean, think about the letter to Romans where he, he notes the struggle with the flesh, that sometimes the things that he knows he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things that he knows he shouldn't do, he does. He's admitting this conflict. When he talks to the church in Corinth, he speaks about a, a thorn in the flesh and how he pleaded with God multiple times to take it away, but that God spoke to him and said that my grace is sufficient in your, my, my, my power is perfected in your weakness. He's admitting weakness over and over again. He's essentially putting on display, my life isn't much of anything. And then when he talks about his, his speaking ability, you, you might say, well, man, I bet he was a, an incredible preacher. I bet he was the, the John Piper, or the Tim Keller of, of his day, or the John MacArthur, or, the, or the, you know, any of these other you know, pastors that we listen to today. Well, I bet he was just incredible. He says of himself, no, I wasn't. I, 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 what, I came as one showing how God uses people that aren't that smart. I came as one, as one who showed that God uses people that aren't that wise, that aren't the best speakers, that don't have all of these accomplishments to put on the wall and say, well, this is why I'm qualified. No, he says, it's the Lord who saved me and it's the Lord who continues to give me strength. And then finally, he says, and it's to the Lord I give credit for seeing what only he could see in me. Notice how he says it because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. What I find interesting about this idea of God considering him faithful is how he says of himself, I was so faithless. I was blaspheming God. I was an arrogant man. I wasn't faithful to the Lord in humility. I, I was all of these negative things. But isn't it good to know that there is a God who sees what no one else can see in you? He is able to see the, the direction that he is going to take your life and he is faithful and he will do it. That's what his word says in 1 Thessalonians. I mean, we look at the stories that we see in the Bible and it was over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New that God would look at someone that no one else could see anything and maybe even the person themselves would look and say, I don't see those qualities in me and God would speak a word about who they were going to become or what they were going to do or how God was going to use them. Because God can see in us things that we don't see and things that we would say, that's not true, I'm not a faithful person. And God is almost in a way saying, I'm going to make you into a faithful person. I'm not a humble, I'm an arrogant person, I'm gonna make you into a humble person. I'm not a smart person. And God looking and saying, I'm going to give you a wisdom that comes from above. It's an amazing thing to see how Paul, this man who says of himself all of these really negative aspects, is starting off with giving all this praise and credit to Jesus for his salvation, for his strength, and for seeing what only God could see in him, considering him faithful and appointing him to the ministry. But that's not all that we see in this passage. Second, we see this, that this truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that it changes our posture, our posture. You say, well, what is a posture? 
Uh, a posture is not only like how you sit in a physical seat, you know, whether you sit shoulders back and straight up, you know, or you slouch and things like that. Posture is also kind of how you walk into a room. You know, do you walk into a room with a posture of, you know, I'm somebody. Everybody, you know, everybody keep your seat. You know, like I'm, you know, hold the applause. You know, is that your posture? Well, what we would call that is pride. You know, it's a, an arrogance. You know, we've all known, you know, individuals. And if you don't, then you're that person. Okay, so that's how that works. That walks into the room in a posture of this way. Sometimes we walk into a conversation and there's the posture of defensiveness. A lot of times we do this in our marriages. That immediately, you know, hey, did you remember to, and then all of a sudden there's a posture, right? It's physical and it's also verbal. There's a, there's a tension in the air immediately because there's a posture of defensiveness. But there's also a posture of humility that, that ought to characterize people who belong to the Lord. Notice the posture that we see with Paul as he comes before Timothy and he's communicating to him about the church at Ephesus and then the posture of his life that we see before other people. We see in him this posture change that allows him to be able to admit where we were or where he was. And, and what it translates is that now we are able to admit where we were. You see, when the Lord has changed you and you're able to, to freely now admit where you were and where he brought you from, then you're able to use that to be able to communicate to other people so that they know that they too are loved by God. Now, notice that the way he says it, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, I mean, don't miss the significance of that. I mean, blasphemy was punishable by death. It's prescribed by the Old Testament. This was no light charge. This was essentially saying that things that are true of God were not. It's lying about God. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. In other words, the people that were believing rightly and were following the Lord, I was actually going after them. I had their name on my list and was on the hunt for them to put them in jail or to even see them put to death. Remember that description of, of Paul when his name was still Saul of how he held the cloaks of those that stoned Stephen in Acts chapter seven. And then he says this of himself, I was an arrogant man. I was arrogant. This is who I was. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. And then he says, and I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. I mean, nobody that I know likes to be ignorant. Like they like to say, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm ignorant. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. Most of us want to have a slice of knowledge so that we're not ignorant. But he says, I was ignorant and I was acting in unbelief. All of these are disparaging ways of speaking about oneself. Now, we can look at this in a negative sense and say Paul was really like, uh, you know, like self-deprecating, like that he was just always just really down on himself. And really what he needed to see was like maybe like a Christian counselor to help kind of like buoy his, his, his perspective of self or something like that. That's not what's going on here. It's not just that he has this really negative self-image. It's he has a right understanding of his former self. But before he was blind to these things. He didn't realize all that he was doing, but now his eyes have been opened and he's able to say all of these things. Let me ask you, are you increasing in self-awareness of what God has done for you? Are, are you continuing to realize like, oh my gosh, as I look back, I mean, I can look back in my own life 
And it was only by the grace of God that I did not end up in all manner of trouble. I mean, incredible trouble of drug use and teen pregnancies and, and of like, you know, theft. And I mean, I'm telling you the stuff that was right at my door and that was just being like presented to me and I could have gone, if it hadn't been for the grace of God, if it hadn't been for the grace of God, I cannot even imagine the way that my life would have gone. And I can look back now even more clearly and say it was only the Lord. It wasn't my wisdom. It wasn't because I was a good kid. It was only God in his grace that was protecting me. I didn't deserve it. But God was acting in such a way to show exactly what Paul says, that he is extraordinarily patient, extraordinarily patient with me. We're able to admit where we were. It changes our posture where we are able to admit we don't deserve what we've received. Notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, I deserved all this. Notice what he says, but I received mercy. I received mercy and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now today, if on the way home, I get pulled over on 610 as I'm making my way to Elysian Fields and then I'm gonna go up into Gentilly where I live. Um, and my neighbor, Miss Mildred, I see you right over there. It's so good to have you today, my sister. Um, so thankful for, for neighbors in Gentilly and being able to, to live in such an incredible place with incredible neighbors. But on my way home today, if I get pulled over and the officer comes up and he says, man, speed limit 60 on 610. I know everybody goes 80 but you were speeding. And I say, yep, I was. Yep, I was going 70, sure was, officer. And then he looks at me, he says, I'm not gonna give you a ticket. You know what I've just received? Mercy. I deserved a ticket, but he's not gonna give me a ticket. We've received mercy. We deserve hell. And by the grace of God, by, by his forgiveness, we don't get that. But that's not where salvation stops. That, notice that almost everywhere where Paul talks about mercy, he also includes another word, grace. Grace is, son, I'm not gonna give you a ticket. What I will do for you though, is I'm gonna flip my lights on and give you an escort to where you need to go. Where are you headed today? What? Yep, something we're doing here at NOPD to boost morale in the city, is we're giving escorts to people where they need to go. So where are we headed? That's grace. I, I, don't, I, I don't deserve an escort to anywhere. What I deserve was a ticket, but I got mercy. And now all of a sudden I'm getting grace, something I don't deserve. It's not only not getting what I deserve, it's getting something I don't deserve. That's grace. And notice what Paul says, I received mercy. I didn't get what I deserve, which would have been a, a damnation. I should have been punished for my sin. I should go to hell, he's saying. But I don't get that. I get mercy and grace. I get to have the Lord Jesus as my savior. He goes into all of these beautiful passages and other places about sonship. I get to come into the family of God. I get, I get the status that belongs squarely to Jesus. All of these things become true of me. I receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he says in Ephesians chapter two. 
This church in Ephesus would have been very familiar if they had heard the letter of Ephesians chapter 1 of all of these blessings that had come to them. They have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing their inheritance in, in the heavenly places. I mean, all of these things are true of them because we've also received grace. Brothers and sisters, that is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's as true today in my life as it was in Paul's life. And it's true in your life. You have not only received mercy, you did not, not getting what you deserve, you've received grace. And the bundle of grace that comes your way is faith and love and hope. Faith, hope, and love. These three remain. The greatest of these is love. Brothers and sisters, you get love you don't deserve in the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not only that you don't get what you deserve, but as we just sang a moment ago, and my hope is heaven. My future is heaven, we sang. We get what we don't deserve called grace. And we're able to admit that we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It's undeserved love. And so brothers and sisters, please be heralds of what you receive that you don't deserve. Please don't be a herald of, well, I made good choices to not do bad things, and so therefore I get good things. That's not grace. That's justice. If, if, you know, if you didn't do something, then you shouldn't get a penalty. But we in Christ admit our penalty was heavy. We were sinners. We were guilty, but we've received grace. You see how that works? When you're able to admit your guilt, to admit you, you don't deserve, do you see how it lifts up the grace that you receive? It's an amazing thing to lift up the name of Jesus and to proclaim, as Paul does, that you've received mercy and grace you don't deserve along with faith and love that come in Christ Jesus. And the result of that is we remain humble today. Notice what he says, and this is where tense in the in the original language matters because Paul says right after that changes everything statement, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says this, and I am, present tense, the worst. The word he said, I, and I'm the first. In other words, like if you wanna see a prime example of what a sinner is, look no further. Me, I'm the worst of them. And, and for some reason, we think he's just being, you know, kind of that, you know, fake humility. That is not what he's doing. He is saying, no, really, I'm the worst of them. And if the worst of them can receive this incredible mercy and grace, then guess what? There's hope for all. He was convinced of this. This was a man who gave his life to bringing this good news to all people. He wanted this gospel to go to all nations. He was convinced that this was a gospel that could save any person because this is what he communicates here and in every other place. And brothers and sisters, you and I, as we go along with the Lord, you and I should have an ever-increasing understanding that where we kind of step and say, and I'm the worst of them. No, really, I'm the worst of them. And if God can show grace to me, then there is no person 
There's no person on the list that we looked at last week. There is no lawless or rebellious person too far from his grace. There is no ungodly or sinful person too far from his grace. There is no unholy or irreverent person that's too far from his grip. There is no person who has killed their father or, murder, or mother or a murderer who is too far gone for his grace. There is no sexually immoral or homosexual person that is outside of the reach of his grace. And there is no slave trader, liar, perjurer, or whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that his gospel cannot change. That's what we believe. You say, well, Chad, that's a really bad list. Paul just said, I'm worse than all of those. That my sin, my sin is worse than all of those. And if Jesus can save me, then there's hope for every one of those people as well. Notice that, you know, because last week was one of those sermons, right, where we had to talk about it, where we had to like really talk about some of the issues and talk about the difficulty in our modern day with some of our cultural issues and all those kind of things. Don't miss the context. Paul is saying there's hope for every person. He is not just judging and saying they're too far gone. No, he is saying there's hope for every person. And he's saying it right here because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. But then don't miss this. This is where it really does change everything. You see, this gospel is meant to change us. But if we don't have a firm grasp on the gospel, then we're gonna miss the purpose of the gospel. And so we have to pause just for a moment, take a time out to really, to really be honest with each other because I realize that we live in a day where when we talk about the gospel that even within maybe even a church like First Baptist New Orleans, we might talk about it a little bit differently. And when we talk about the work of God's grace and all of those sort of things, we can even talk a little bit differently. Brothers and sisters, it's not about your language coming in conformity with my language or my language coming in conformity with your language on how we talk about things. It is about us being transformed by the power of his word. That the example that we see in the scriptures of the Apostle Paul, when he's calling people to follow his example, that we follow this pattern. And so there is a way that Paul speaks about his former life, and it's with honesty. He doesn't mask it, he doesn't hide it, he doesn't whitewash it, make it seem not so bad. No, he puts it on full display. This is where I was. And, and this, is, this is what I'd done. And yet, then what does he do? He doesn't lift up, but I made some good choices. I, I, I started some new habits. and th No, what he says is, I received mercy. I received grace. I received salvation. Jesus Christ became my Lord. He, he puts Jesus up on a pedestal. He, he lifts up the gospel. That's what we're doing in North Africa. We're lifting up the gospel. That's what we're doing in New Orleans. We're lifting up the gospel. Are you lifting up the gospel? Or in subtle ways, are you lifting up yourself in your own good decision-making, your own choices throughout life to, to maybe not do bad things that were before you? Or are you lifting up Jesus was at work in those moments, giving you strength, giving you wisdom that comes from him? You and I, if we aren't lifting up the name of Jesus, then we miss the purpose of this incredible life-changing statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Because honestly, we believe that there's grades of sinners. And if we believe that, if we don't understand that I'm the worst of them, then we will begin to look at different groups of sinners and say, I don't know about that group. 
I don't know about Muslims in some of these Central Asian countries. I mean, it, like, it's just so intense. The Taliban and all, I, I just don't think there's any hope. We can begin to look at groups here in the United States Look at, you know, the LGBTQ community and groups and say, I just, I, just, I, don't, I don't think I, I can even, you know, bring the gospel into those contexts. I, you know, I think it's just too far gone. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why it came. And so those groups that you are saying, I think they're just too far gone. They're exactly who Jesus came for. That's exactly his Focus is on them. And he is inviting you and me into a life lived for that purpose. Notice how he says it right here and how this changes our, purses, our, our purpose. He says this, but I receive mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Who would believe in him for eternal life. You see, the way I put it in my notes today is his mercy becomes a movie. His mercy becomes a movie for others to see the kindness of God at work in our life. I mean, how many times have you ever heard, you gotta see this movie? You watched the movie, you've seen it, and you're like, oh my gosh, this was so good. Like it really impacted me, um, I, you know, all these things. And then you start telling people. You know, one of the shows that I hear right now, a lot of people saying, have you seen The Chosen? Have you seen The Chosen? And, and pe- preachers always get in, in trouble for like promoting a movie because then it could, you know, derail and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, you're, you're on the bad, you know, train or whatever. But The Chosen, when I started watching, you know, these episodes that are just kind of like bringing to life the scriptures, a guy named Dallas Willard, you know, like, uh, you know, directing these and all of that, you know, as I began to watch these and, and began to hear people saying, you, you gotta watch this, you gotta watch this. What was it that they were wanting to see? Just the incredible acting, the incredible you know, casting, you know, all of that. No, for them and then for me, it was the impact that it had on my life. How at the end of the episode, when I would see these incredible moments of grace unfolding right before my eyes and the kindness of Jesus to touch a leper, and to just see how the leper was overcome with gratitude for being touched and to being healed and all of these things, what was impacting me was the kindness of Jesus. That, that's why I would want anybody to watch that episode of The Chosen. But brothers and sisters, your life is an episode. Your life is a season. Your, your life is a movie that is showing something. When people look at you, they don't see all of it. They just see kind of a snapshot. And so in your life, are they seeing the incredible patience of Jesus? Are they they looking at you and being able to see that Jesus is persistent in his faithfulness and his goodness? Or would they look at it like I've watched some movies and been like, I don't know what the point of that was. That was a a dumb movie. (laughs) You know, like I turned it off halfway because I was just bored because the movie was all about me. It wasn't about God and his kindness. I wasn't putting God on display. It was just all about me. My life was about me and about the choices I was making and not oriented to this incredible life-changing purpose that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Because here's the truth that I want us to leave with today 
his mercy is not intended to stop with you. Jesus did not give you the gospel and save you into his kingdom so that it would just stop. But instead, as Paul puts forward right here, in me, the worst of them, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You see, it's implied in the text is that Paul is bringing this gospel to those who would believe. Brothers and sisters, there are neighbors and there are coworkers and there are friends and family members right now in our life and in, in New Orleans that are desperate for this life-changing experience, this life-changing reality that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. They think right now that Jesus Christ came into the world so that they would have to go to church, so that they would need to be religious, so that they would need to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. That Jesus Christ came into the world to show them just how bad they are by being so good. They don't realize, they don't realize and they won't realize unless you and I bring them this message. No, 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 Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was why he came. That wasn't a byproduct. That wasn't just something ancillary to like his purpose. Like, oh, well, I guess I could do that while I'm here. No, he came here for this purpose. This is the love of God. And this changes everything. So let's just make it real. We, as First Baptist New Orleans, can miss it. We can miss the main purpose that Jesus, came, Jesus Christ came into the world. And we can begin to focus on other things. We can begin to live like the main reason that Jesus Christ came into the world is so that we can have enjoyable worship services. We can begin to, to live like and spend like that the reason Jesus Christ came into the world is so that we could have nice facilities and good children's programs. You say, Chad, are you like saying we need to not have a building, Chad, we no children activity, all that? We have to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So if we're utilizing this amazing facility that God has blessed us with for that purpose, to God be the glory. But if we're using this incredible facility to entertain ourselves, then that is to our shame. And honestly, that's to the slow death of our souls. We won't, we won't thrive as God intended when we are not living our lives in his purpose and for the mission that he has created us to live for. If we are making the time that we gather just about self and about preference and about what we want versus what he wants, which is sinners saved and orienting our time to celebrating like we did just a moment ago, this team that's come back. And don't miss the vision of that. I took Noah because Noah had never been on an international mission trip before. And so part of my responsibility with him as a co-laborer in the gospel was to bring him on a trip and to be with him on that first experience and to, and to answer questions and help equip him so that then he could do exactly what he just did. He led a team. And even as we were at the ballpark yesterday, JP and I were talking, and he's like, I've already said, when can I lead a team? 
Catch the vision. That's the point. That's what we want. We want to multiply those who are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. I love the ministry of our of our ministries here in our city, Inward and Rivard and Crossroads and other ministries like that, they continue to put on display the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God and then invite others in to bring that gospel to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, it can become so easy, so easy in moments like this to think that the gospel is supposed to end with us. It's not. So I wanna encourage you today His mercy isn't intended to stop with you because this statement is deserving a full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst. And so if there's hope for me, then there is hope for you. Can we pray for me? God, I pray in these moments that as we humble ourselves before you, God, and we admit our own sinfulness and our need for Jesus, that in that, God, you would be glorified. And that as we make our lives all about celebrating your salvation and your strengthening of us and of your ability to see in us something that we don't see in ourselves and how you appoint us to ministry and give us a calling and all of these things, God, that it would result in a in a further lifting up the name of Jesus with our lives so that then the purpose of our lives becomes seeing more and more and more people experiencing the exact purpose that Jesus came to save sinners. So Lord, please, I pray that today, if there be anyone here who has never experienced your salvation, that they would realize that's exactly why you came was for them. It wasn't just so that we could become more religious It wasn't just to tell us how to live a better life. It was to save us from our sin. Lord, please bring us into awareness of just how sinful we were when you saved us. Please, Lord, bring us into awareness even now that we remain the chief of sinners, the worst of them. But that's only to highlight your grace and your patience and kindness toward us. So Lord, today, would you work in our hearts in such a way that the result is we bring this good news to our neighborhoods and to the nations. We pray this in Christ's name. We stand with me as we respond to God's word through song. And if you're here today and you've never experienced his salvation, I'll be standing right here and would love the opportunity to pray with you today.